up? What's going on? David, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. I got the regular laptop speaker the mic going right now. Uh, is that all right? Sound yeah. good? Yeah, you sound great, man. All right, cool. You got a video or no? Oh, is it not coming up? I got you. Yeah, it takes me a while. It takes me like five minutes to set up my mic and headphones all right. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if I should get my, my cans on or, or what. I got, I got most of my like being in front of the camera gear over here, but I like this backdrop better. <laughs> I like it, man. It looks cool. Well, uh, welcome to the Risen Fallen podcast. Thanks, um, yeah, for anybody listening or watching this, you can expect open and authentic conversations about things like mental health and self-development. Sitting here with David. David, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Um, just tell people like who you are and what you're all about, and then we'll just get into a good conversation, man. All right. Well, my name is Dave. Um, recovering alcoholic, uh, addict, junkie, um, asshole. <laughs> Um, I've been sober about two years now. Um, just got out of jail about a year ago for my third DUI. Um, but I've been sober longer than that. So I like that. I like that. I didn't go into jail drunk and have to get sober in there. Um, but I'm a dad. Uh, I run my own coaching program now. I've, I have a, you know, semi-retired IT guy. Um, if, you know, if something needs to be done and they want to pay me enough to do it, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, um, I'm just a guy, man, that, you know, been through a lot of shit and, you know, learned a lot of shit along the way. And I'm just trying to help others do the same, you know, thing in terms of growth without having to go through, uh, some of the self-inflicted wounds along the way you know yeah man so how did how did that on because you you went to you went to jail you have a kind of a dark past that way do you do you want to get into kind of like how that all started and and kind of where that started in your life like was it always kind of a tumultuous beginning or did it just kind of turn south at it was there like a catalyst point where it turned south um yeah a little bit um but at the same time there's that you know progression of youth at the same time um i think i got a little thrown into an adult role a little early you know than i, I would like to have for my son um so from there i took on responsibilities and then once i did get my youthful freedom um i changed you know what I was aiming for, you know, um, and, and that didn't take long to start causing problems, whether, you know, I think the first time I got arrested was for spray painting, some tagging on the freeway, <laughs> but I got lucky then they didn't find the bag of meth I had on me. Right. Um, so went through a couple of years of that, um, not, I don't even know if it was a couple of years, about a year and a half of that, but it all started, you know, with your first couple of sips, right? When you're real young, um, maybe 12, 13, um, didn't really mess with 
anything beyond that. And then 14, 15, it, started, it goes to weed, and then it, it, it just expands from there, especially because I was selling, you know, <laughs> I played football, so all I wanted to do was afford some steroids, right, uh, to get bigger with everybody else. So I started selling weed, never did steroids. <laughs> weed took off the shrooms, acid, you know, you name it. Um, but not so much drinking anymore um, at that point, you know. Um, or yet, actually. Um, so, yeah, that was like the height of my meth addiction. And that was pretty, that was, that was pretty bad. Um, I was in rehab before 18, uh, thinking that if I go to rehab, I don't have to go to jail. Um, wound up burglarizing my neighbor's house to, you know, make some money. Um, but I guess by the grace of God, I got kicked out of rehab 10 days in, two days before my, uh, court date. Parents were moving out here. Um, we had some, some discrepancies and, and when they go, well, we'll drop, we'll drop it to this and just do three months. I'm like, all right do that. My parents moved out to the uh, East Coast the day after I go to jail. Um, and the last time I did meth was in jail in California. Um, so I get out. I think I'm going to make it on my own in California for, you know, at 18 by, you know, doing construction for $5 an hour. And that lasted about a week. My mom was like, yeah, you got to get your ass out here. Um, best move, you know, one of the better decisions I made. So that 86, the meth and I, you know, now I'm, you know, 18 years old, I, I've got my shit under control. And from there it was just, uh, weed and alcohol. So alcohol that, you know, meth addiction that you're done, right? You're off to the races. Um, but alcohol takes a long time for that physical buildup, um, might be there mentally and not know it. Um, but it takes a long time for you to feel the physical effects because you, you know, especially being young, you feel like you're invincible. Um, so, um, you know, my, my whole life, all I ever wanted was a family and a kid and, you know, house with a white picket fence, you know. Um, so I started working towards that and Along the way, you know, as I'm progressing, started out real, you know, simple with a, you know, honey baked ham job, a Home Depot job. Um, but I got into computers at the right time. I wish it was a little bit earlier, but that's all right. Um, and decided, hey, this is, you know, this is a way to make a career. I like computers. This is new to me. This is fun. Um, Put myself through technical school, got my certifications, you know, and, and was progressing just, you know, as one should after disaster, right? You know, working towards those goals. But I was still a partier, right? Um, I was having a lot of fun along the way, as long as I wasn't effed up on meth. And oh, everybody drinks and smokes weed, it's fine. Um, but for me, it was... You know, knowing 
or not knowing what I was doing and always thinking that it was my problem or somebody else's fault, right? Um, boom, 20 years old, get my first DUI. Um, I don't even remember which one that was or why. Um, I think I got in an accident, pretty sure. Um, at Thunderbird Super Coupe, that was my first car. So, yeah. That's a pretty dope car, man. Yeah, it was, man. It was clean, too, man. Um, doctor owned it. Um, got it from the used Mercedes dealership. He babied it. It only had like 67,000 miles on it. And it was coming from a party. Yeah, so that was my first one with uh, my Home Depot guys. Um, but that back then, you know, it was a baby DUI. It was driving after illegally consuming alcohol because I wasn't even able to drink then, right? And this is mid-90s Virginia. Eh, slap on the wrist back then. And, well, I make it through that, you know, fairly easy. And then like a year later, I get enough, my first real DUI, right? <laughs> and basically, you know, this continues this pattern once every five years, every two years, nine years, couple in one year, a couple in another year, um, until, you know, probably I was about to turn 40 and it was like, I had been through thousands of hours of therapy right? ASAP, IOP, etc. Um, it was time to like get myself some real help because I had reached a point in my career and in my life where I was already divorced. I had been divorced at 27, uh, but I got my first house at 24. So I was progressing like the normal adult would like to, right? Um, career-wise, just steadily bumping up the, the help desk chain, the systems administrator chain, the, the 30, 40, 60, 80, 100K plateau kind of thing, right? Um, so didn't have any problems, right? It's just something happening to me over and over and over and over. Um, then... You know, it was just always something holding me back. And, it, you know, might not even have been a DUI, but it took a long time for me to realize that it's just when I drink that bad things happen, right? Um, so, you know, because I had so many drunken publics as well, disturbing the pieces, nothing, you know felonious, so to speak, or, you know, criminal. Um, but, you know, you can only break so many relationships and laws before they're going to, they're going to get you. So at 40, I decided, you know, I'd been drinking probably by myself for like four years. I hadn't gotten to that point just yet where like, I'm taking it to work. Right. But I'm just, I'm done partying because I'm tired of getting DUI. So I'm just going to drink at home. Right. You know, you guys want to come over. Cool. 
<laughs> that sounds great. You know, as and long then, as I don't got to operate a vehicle, I'm good. Right, right. I even kept uh, the breathalyzer on for a couple of months after one of my DUIs because I'm like, it's just cheaper to have this for you know six hundred dollars a year than get a DUI. You know, you could literally pay for it for fifteen years before it costs what a DUI costs nowadays, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not have to risk hurting anybody else right. or anything like that. Right. And then, you know, also back then, because you're you're like, oh, man, it's 60 bucks to get there. So I don't have to leave my car because you're constantly making these decisions back then. And then with the advent of Uber, it's like, all right, I'm just going to Uber wherever I go if I leave. Right. Give myself no chance to drive away. <laughs> right. So, you know not fixing the problem just sidestepping it right yeah yeah i've been there before man i i have uh, had my bouts with drugs and alcohol as well man i uh, i'm like uh six months sober right now so i'm kind of just in the, be the nice. beginning of it all but uh yeah man so how how did you like go the fully sober thing um sorry like the fully sober like or just not your main because I, I, I have a lot of friends that do the, the alcohol-free, right? Or heroin-free, drug-free. But, you know, like, I'm okay with cannabis. Like, and, you know, especially CBD. And, you know, a guy wants to, you know, go through what he's gone through. And then, you know, like, I got a really good friend of mine. He just, he's pretty much, you know, 100% sober. But he's like, I'm at a place right now where he went and did ayahuasca. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I've used quite a few psychedelics in my day, both uh, recreationally and then as well, like kind of had some spiritual, um, I guess, um, experiences with it as well, just kind of using them on my own and, and not like partying with them. And, uh, I'm not anti-weed either. I actually, I, I do see a lot of benefits in marijuana. I, I mean, I live in Canada in Vancouver here. It's basically like the Canadian LA, you know, like it's, it's pretty common here. Most people like you, you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't smoke weed. Right. But, um, I, for my, myself personally right now, I am just going a hundred percent sober at this because I don't really have like a drug of choice. Like I've, uh, I'll, I'll use whatever's in front of me. Like that's yeah, yeah. Like I'll gobble it up. I'll just, so like, that was one of my biggest issues is like, I would just, uh, you know, basically use whatever was in front of me. And I was such a kind of a functioning addict in the way that like, if I wasn't, you know, partying, I, I wouldn't drink very often just because I didn't like the feeling of, uh, losing kind of control of myself, forgetting about what happened. Like I, and I dealt with anger issues as well. So I was just tired of fucking getting in fights and getting knocked out and getting confused and, you know, get all of those different things, man. But I, I, I was uh, the night before. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, going to, through your texts and oh man, calling but, people. What did I do? Yeah, exactly. But I, I ended up leaning on, on weed as like a big crutch. I was smoking like at least like 10 joints a day. Like from the second I wake up, I had a bong beside my bed and like, I'd be hitting the bong from the second I wake up in the morning till like literally four tokes before bed. Like that was like, I was stoned all day, every day for years. And that was just my baseline. So 
when I decided to get sober, I was at a point where I was like driving home and, um, I just kind of had like a mental breakdown. Like I was disassociating from like the problems in my life. And I was just kind of viewing myself like I, anytime I got like a heightened level of emotions, I would disassociate from myself. And I was, and I was kind of just realizing how I was just numbing myself. You know, I would, um, you know, I would, I would tell myself like, if I can just kind of numb myself to the pain that I'm feeling right now and push past it and work harder and, and get to the next step of my life, then uh, I won't need to use drugs all day, every day. I won't need to kind of numb myself, not realizing that like I need to deal with the shit that I'm trying to numb. Like that was kind of where I was at. So I, I've uh, basically told myself like I, I need to work like a set of 12 steps. I need to like figure out, um, you know, what it is exactly I was running from and trying to numb. And then if I can get like my head cleared up, like I, I can go back to, uh, smoking a joint here and there casually but like i just don't want to be just high all day every single day like i just for me it was um i was just using it as a crutch and i felt like i don't want to be a man that needs a crutch like what kind of an example am i setting for for myself for my partner for my future children you know it, it just really kind of hit me this year like i'm 27 right now so for me it hit me it was like you know, if I really want to become a man that I would be proud of being like, this isn't it. Like just being fucking stoned all day, every day. Like yeah. that's just, you know, it wasn't for me. So I, um, yeah, for the time being for the past six months, I think it's like six and a half now, but I've been a hundred percent sober and, and trying to lean into a little bit more of like journaling and kind of dealing with the pain, reading a lot more uh, of the literature in regards to recovery and self-development that way but um yeah that's kind of what where i'm at right now with my, with my life because i i was so addicted to um you know self-development for the past few years but i was uh only working on the positive aspects i was only working on the things that i wanted to work on you know like if i could maximize my efficiency my time management you know my relationships etc and I never wanted to dig deep and do like kind of the deep inner work and deal with like kind of the trauma that I've dealt with. And, um, you know, the stuff I was trying to avoid, man, you know, there, there's always the stuff that we want to work on. And then there's the stuff that we don't want to work on. And that's what I was trying to avoid. Yeah. You know, it, in the grand scheme of things, it all comes down to escapism, right? What are we trying to escape? Um, you know, that emotional pain has to be dealt with. And that's, you know, that's part of my personal development program. Like I literally deal with it every morning, every day, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how can I be better than I was yesterday? You know, what did I do wrong yesterday? Did I treat somebody bad? Did I, you know, mess up my food, which doesn't happen, right? For the most part, <laughs> you know, um, but just getting that daily, you know, grind, so to speak, that I'm choosing to do, right? You know, to prove to myself, I'm going to do it just because I said I did it, right? And also figuring out who I'm going to be that day when things get hard, right? Because doing this every day and every morning, all the time isn't easy and 
taking it a step further, once you're in the middle of it, when you're like, uh, I can give up on, you know, rep eight. I got a pump going. It feels all right. Eh, it's getting a little difficult at 12. You know, who are you when it gets to 18, 19, 20? Right. You're like, uh, right. So, and that's a good time also to think about what, was happening the day before if something was wrong right because it's an enlightened mindset that you're not thinking from usually right you're at a different frequency when you're thinking about those problems or that they happen they burst out right yeah absolutely man i i think about that all the time i think about uh, you know I, in my eyes i always explain it like it's like you're not yourself like that's not who you are like i always tell myself like when I'm, when I'm journaling about, I do the same thing you do every single morning. The first thing I do is I do like a bunch of push-ups while I make my coffee. And then once my push-ups are done, I sit down and I journal. And that's before I touch my phone, before I do anything. I used to go on and put like a good morning post on Instagram. And I realized like, I just get sucked in, man. I'm yeah. like, I, I like, it's another form of escapism. Like mm -hmm. you're saying, man, like I get sucked into social media. So I was like, before I like subject my brain to that shit. I need to fucking, I need to hit a bunch of push-ups, get a good right. little pump on. <laughs> and then I got to sit down and journal and reflect on like the kind of the day that I had before. And then like kind of the thoughts that I had running through my brain while I do my push-ups, like while I wake up, while my, my body's starting to function, my blood's starting to pump, all those kind of thoughts of, you know, anxiety of what happened the day before, what could happen today. Like, I just need to get it out on paper. And then once I clear my head, I do a bit of reading and then I'm like, okay, now I can function as an adult. Like now I could be a regular human being at this point. Yeah. Hey, dude, everybody's got their own program and that works for them. And you know, they're, they're scheduling and the pieces, which way they have it and all. Uh, but you know, as long as people have a program and we can point them in the ways to go about that, then you know, they can navigate it as they go, you know, and customize it for each, each person. Like that's, that's one thing I don't think a lot of people understand is like, they see me getting up at 3.45 a.m. They're like, I can't do that. I'm a truck driver. Okay. So, right? Like, what are you gonna hours? do? Where, where, you know, what? All right, so you drive all night. All right, let's figure this out for you. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You know, but you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into you know having your daily process, but you just gotta keep trying to implement it. Um, once it's recognized, you know, and that's a big problem as well. People don't recognize that they are exactly what they live, right? It's not the world out to get them. It's the world that you brought on you. Yeah, hundred percent. And even like um, those things, like I call my routine, my bulletproof routine, like no matter what happens, what gets shot my way, like I've got my bulletproof vest on, like as long as I'm fucking, I do my routine, I'm protected. Like that's kind of how I protect my mind, my body from like whatever's going to come at me that day. If I do 275 push-ups in the morning, 
you know, it doesn't really matter. Like I, I can get like at least a 45 minute workout in later that day, like at least a run in at least a stretching session. Like at, at the very least I've done my 250, 300 pushups in the morning. Like that's that, you know what I mean? Like at, no matter what stresses come my way, I've done my journaling and like, I can do my reading. I can calm my mind, like those types of things. And my routines change too. Like that's the other thing with routines is they've changed so much. Like I've had times where like I wake up and I run five, five kilometers. I don't know what that is in miles. I think it's probably like two or three miles, but yeah, like run some run run a little bit in the morning. I've had days where like I wake up and I start work right away and I do all these things later. Like my routine is adapted to my life and where I'm at and really what I need to work on. Like for me right now, it's more about, I just want to get my blood pumping and then get whatever is in my brain down on paper and then read something good afterwards. Like I don't want to get fucking sucked into social media, going down conspiracy theories and how the government's trying to kill me. And yeah. you know, like, I, I want to get like a good fucking good journal. Like I call it like my brain dump, dump everything that's in my brain and then fill it with a good book. Like that's kind of where I'm at. Like that's what I need. So that's like where my routine has kind of shifted recently. And uh, I always prioritize fitness. So that's why like the push-ups come first. Like I just need to get some blood pumping first thing in the morning, man. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I, uh, no, I, I, I dig your shit, man. I've got, I've followed you obviously on Instagram for quite a while. Like we've kind of gone back and forth about doing this podcast and like, dude, I, I love your posts. Like it's always every single day when I look at your story, it's like he's hitting burpees outside once again like <laughs> always hit burpees like I, I love to see that shit man um when did you kind of because you said like the what like you you've been sober about two years now and uh, yeah so um to go back so i went to i put myself into my own rehab i talked to my uh company because i was with a good company who had been through with uh, you know a, a few of my things and i said all right talk to my coworkers and you know, like, hey, can't just drop out for three weeks to a month, you know? So I made sure that it was cool with them if they could cover my own call. And I said, all right, I had seen this fancy pants rehab, um, you know, because I didn't want a white-walled, you know, institutional kind of rehab that I went to when I was 18, right? Um, I brought my dog to Florida, like, I was smoking cigarettes and coffee the whole time. I had a steak every night. I got massages every other day by the pool. Like, it's like a spa. It was like a resort without the booze. Right? Sounds kind of dope, the, actually. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was pretty fucking awesome. And it did its job. Um, but I didn't know what exactly I wanted at that time other than to stop drinking. Right. And I didn't know how to do that because it was 7-Eleven on every fucking corner. Um, or at least I could walk there in three minutes. Right. Um, so it got me it got me away from alcohol for 24 days and it gave me a shot on the way, you know, but being down there, being away from your home and family, like Sure, I made friends with the people that were there, but they're in Ohio, Michigan, Maine, you know, wherever, right? It's not like we could go have coffee and hit a meeting or something, but I got no aftercare for that. But it, it 
it got me sober. It got me a completely different outlook on life. Cause you know, at that point, like I wasn't like trying to kill myself, but I didn't like have anything to live for. Like I wasn't worried that I, you know, I was drinking a half a gallon of vodka on a Saturday morning. Like, so what? Who cares? Obviously I don't. Right. Yeah. Like it wasn't hurting anybody at all. Right. Did I, you know, I wasn't getting in any trouble anymore. I wasn't like showing up late to work anymore or I probably was, but we were, (laughs) you know, I could get away with it, so to speak. Um, But I was, I was like, I was starting to feel some, uh, my rib tingling for like a year or two uh, underneath what the liver, right? So that would have me worried. Um, so I was like, all right, let me, I know what the problem is, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm not going to try and lie to my, you know, the GI guy or whatever and be like, I don't know, it's just strange going on here. It's, it's not poisoned or anything. Maybe it's a birth defect. Like, Yeah, yeah. You know, but when I bend over here and there, it just tingles for two hours. <laughs> So that was uh, my first attempt at, at getting sober for myself. I had, I had admitted that I was an alcoholic in meetings before and therapy and all that because I knew I was at some point. It took a long time for me to say that and mean it and know it, but I still took a long time to really understand it because I didn't wasn't doing the books. You know, I was just simply showing up to meetings and all the other stuff, the IOPs that they force you to pay. Um, signatures and you know if i needed to stay clean i'd stay clean um at least from weed uh (laughs) but you know and i in iop back then the technology isn't is what it uh today all right so i don't drink monday through thursday right yeah it's like four out of the seven days right you know literally drinking the whole time you know but composing it better um so i was sober for like eight months and then i went on a sailboat trip in greece and wound up i'm happy i made it to greece (laughs) sober because i was i guess was a a big thing i normally i probably would have been drunk but you know in the airport on the way um but that was just 11 days of pure drinking and fun like there was i don't know how else to explain it i met my wife the very last night um but that was you know a huge relapse um and there was some typical drunken stuff that happened like i lost my wallet i had to rely on other people but you know nothing bad but i definitely felt it on the way home and didn't drink for three months. I, you know, I promised my person I'm talking to now because she lived, uh, she lived in Italy at the time. So we started, we we communicated for the next three months. Um, and then, but I didn't drink, you know. And then we had made plans to meet back in Italy, and of course, I drank in Italy. Uh, that's where I asked her to, to marry me. Uh, she came back with me. And I, I stayed sober for another couple months after we got back. And then 
she was pregnant <laughs> and slowly but surely you know right back to it um and hiding it worse and just you know causing problems when they didn't need to exist right um sure was everything taken care of yeah but was i taking care of my wife no because you know i'm off drinking for three hours she's a, she's got nothing to do in a strange country and she's pregnant or you know home with the baby or so um then the the like final couple pieces um were like we had bought a new house our boy was born you know this was a couple of years ago um after we had moved so tyler was two and we buy this place and a, a roommate friend tenant I mean, a friend from 25 years, but he was a roommate tenant uh, at the old place. We go, we come here and I had gotten on my personal development program because I had tried um, at the beginning of COVID, I told my wife, all right, I'm going to go on antabuse because this is getting out of control. I can't, I'm not going to rehab. I'm not leaving you, et cetera. Um, that worked for a couple of months and then uh, I went on a four day bender and nothing bad happened on July 4th weekend, but just enough to piss her off. And because I had figured out the hand abuse wasn't working. Um, it was, I think it was a compound that they just was fake, like a placebo or something. And nothing like ultimately bad happened. Just, Take my wife off, and I had been following a couple of motivational guys on YouTube, and um, I hopped on one of his coaching programs and made quite a bit of change um, from a mental perspective uh, because I had gotten dad bod um, over the last couple of years before that. Um, you know, just drinking, staying home, not knowing about my health, not caring, eating right. Um, but that helped me not just stay sober, but have a different goal to not focus on just staying sober, right? Staying sober is just a part of the program. You got five other goals to hit, seven other goals to hit every day, right? Um and, you know, that physical fitness and, and that toughness that you're building in the beginning, especially when you, you know, you don't know if it's going to work. You didn't, you're not sure that, you know, you've never been there. You've never been this peak physical spot. You're not there, you're just, but you keep going, you keep going and you show up daily. And, and I dropped 45 pounds in 123 days right and there was one small relapse in that um but that is that got me like holy shit i'm a motherfucking beast i can fucking do this right and it also became my next level up because my head got a little big right things were great here at the new house the 
I had just gotten the wife the, um, you know, it was used, but it was a nice little Benz. And I got an Escalade that I wanted for years, right? So now I'm, you know, crushing it, right? This is it. This is the boyhood dream that I had, right? The house, the wife, the son, the cars, the investment property, a sizable, you know, a, a nice income, a sizable 401k. I literally could have just cruised through life, right? <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah, man. So what, what stopped you from that path? Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, relapse City. Three weeks in December to January, you know, after my big head, um, got two drunken Publix, then came home one or came home one night. I'm sorry, didn't come home one night. January fifth, <laughs> so the day before the whole. Uh, U.S. Capitol shit, right? Yeah, yeah. I crushed my day because I had already been through, you know, still relapsing, but a drunk in public's nothing, right? You know, I'm not losing my job. Nothing's bad's happening there. Um, and I was still hitting all my stuff, right? Like crushing my macros, crushing my workouts, crushing my spiritual morning process, everything. But I, I still hadn't got a real connection to that spirituality. It was still me running the show, right? So, and it was obvious again to my wife and my family and my mom was like, I had crushed my day, but I get drunk. And my mom was like, hey, we're gonna go check out this. Um, we're gonna get you an assessment. And I'm like, all right. I figured I was going to to uh, to detox, and you know, alcoholics. If I'm going to if I'm going to detox, might as well have one last one. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember that. Um, next thing I remember. So apparently, we went to. We were going to go to the assessment. They said, nope, when they saw me that drunk, they go right to detox. Apparently, I get kicked out of detox two hours later because I'm just an asshole. Um, and they're like, go home and sleep it off. And wife puts me in bed. Because uh, you got to go through, you got to go to det uh, detox through the emergency room. Right. I don't know why I said that again. <laughs> Wife puts me in bed, goes back to my parents' house with my son and takes my wallet, takes my phone, right? The only thing that I remember out of any of all of that is waking up. And I don't even remember that until 10 minutes, 15 minutes later into this story I'm about to tell you. That's what I surmised later. I wake up to my roommate and in my face. I've got a long hallway right here. I'm coming out my door. He's like got his iPhone in my face going on. 
you're on Facebook Live now. I'm going to expose you as a fraud. And and he's bipolar. And I could tell he's bug-eyed and on some shit, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what the fuck is going on right now. And he's backing down. And I must have said something to piss him off. He comes up and attacks me. I'm hammered, you know, still. He was a wrestler. He gets me in the rear naked chokehold. And goes to muscle up and uh, choke harder. So I'm like three seconds from passing out or dying. And I get his thumb. <laughs> Crunch his thumb. He jumps off me. I, I grab my gun. Get him out of the house. He's running away. And I'm like, I have no idea really where he is. But I'm like, all right. Yo. <laughs> Run back in the house. I have to have Alexa call my mom, call the cops, because my phone's gone. Shit. My roommate was on probation in PG County, um, so he knows if he calls the cops first, it's on. You know, it's a they're coming for him. Right. So my mom is actually like calling, right, and they go, "Don't worry, we're already on the way." It's not the first time they've been in my house. Right. <laughs> um, so they come down. I'm still in. I, I, I see them all. Um, I'm just still in my hospital scrubs with no shirt on and non-slip socks. <laughs> what a sight to see. Right. And they're like, yo. And I'm like, you're going to have to be a little more specific. You see, you, you see, I'm here. Um. Take me up to the cruiser. Are you being detained or arrested? And they're just detained right now. They're like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. Right. I'm lumped up. My head hurts. Right. Eyes bleeding. Still half drunk. They go down and talk to him. And, you know, apparently it's my fault because I made his thumb bleed. So they arrested me for malicious wounding because I made him bleed. And I'm like, I'm in the back. I'm like, are you a rookie? You see my face. Yeah. Why? Because now I'm starting to remember the story. It's wild. Like, I don't remember it until I'm in the backseat. Like, what the hell just happened, right? Um, so that was the start of that. I get out to go straight to detox. They let me out on, you know, on bond to go straight to detox um, and then to rehab. They don't have um, they don't have a bed open for four days, so I get four days at home. But I gotta maneuver my whole life to get him out of that house that night before I'm allowed to come back to my own house, right? Because it's his house too. So that was a cluster. I, luckily, my boys from the West Coast had moved out and moved out. I flew out to uh, to help out, right? And I'm sure I found a way to sneak some drinks in there. Um, but I had made sure that, you know, my job was cool. Hey, going to detox. <laughs> cool. Go ahead. So even though like this one was kind of forced and I, but I was already planning to go anyway, I, I go in there with a great attitude. Um, uh, 
to get sober. I'm still, I work my program through the whole, and this was a real deal, like rehab. Um, sure. Rehab is just to get you away from the substance, but it helped so much with meeting people from here, setting up meetings, helping with the aftercare, right? Um, shout out to Recovery Unplugged, by the way. Love you guys. Um, but I still wasn't fucking getting it. <laughs> I still was not in tune with the universe, whatever you want to call it, speaking to me and me not listening. Um, get out. First thing, four hours after uh, getting out of rehab, I get a call. Job's like, you can't come back until we see the police report. And I'm like, art sunk. Fuck. Fired. You know, you know they're going to fire me, right? I know they're going to fire me. But the whole time for the next six weeks, because of the royal pain in the ass this whole system is, I got to think, oh, well, maybe if they were going to fire me, well, they would have fired me already, or they're, they're just covering their ass. Which way are you guys going with that? Right. So that's instant anxiety. Couple that with literally everything going wrong in the next two weeks. I mean, from toilet, the garage door opener, uh, a truck, you fucking name it. And I'm trying, and it's still COVID. I'm trying to get things to replace them myself to, you know, fix them myself because I'm a handy guy. They're sending the wrong parts, this, that, like, uh, then the boy gets sick and man, it's like, it, it just, I cracked. I cracked. Wife left one day to take him to the, um, you know, just to get the checkup for being sick. And she wasn't gone but two minutes before I was drinking again. And she didn't know it. Do my IOP half drunk on Zoom. Barely remember that. And but I didn't drink for like the four hours of my IOP and the one-on-one -on -one with my therapist, uh, like an idiot, you know, just all, all of it. And I remember thinking on the way it only, you know, consequences only get worse. That's what my mentor told me. And I remember thinking that shit on the way, you know, get done with my meetings. I make up the excuse to go, to Walmart at 9.30 at night because we need something to fix the garage door. Oh. And I get the DUI coming back, literally 10 feet behind my house. I was on the, I was like, I told the cop, I was like, I can literally walk in my backyard, right? He didn't, we can go into all the reasons why he didn't have a right to pull me over and I could have beat the case and blah, 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 blah. But that was February 20. Bit 2021, and that was DUI three, even though it was technically like my ninth. Um, 
It was DUI three and ten this time, and there was no getting, you know, around it anymore. Um, but at this point, like I knew I I knew I was gonna get fired. Like I gave it all. I you know. I surrendered basically like I wasn't trying to get out of jail that time, you know, because I got to save my job and, you know, I can go back to work on Monday or anything. Right. This is, this is, I need to get out and take care of my family so that I can prepare to take care of my family while I do whatever's coming up. Right. Cause time's coming. Right. Whether that's nine, you know, 90 days minimum or five years maximum. I got some time coming and I got to prepare for that. So it was Chappie, Chaplain Vic, he comes, get, drops off my brand new Bible in my cell. And that first page I signed my name and I was like, cause I, I went through my self-proclaimed atheist years. Um, I think I always knew something and believed early on when I was young. Um, but I went through those years of, oh, science. <laughs> science says it ain't possible. Yeah, right? Yeah. I think everybody goes through a phase like that. Some people just don't get out. Right. Right. It's the doubting years, man. Yeah. Those were long ones, too. I know it started for me when I was a kid. I was like, I think it was like when my grandpa died. I was like, man there's a god why would he have done this to me like that's what i remember thinking as a kid and i remember asking my dad that question i don't even remember what he said but i remember like thinking to myself like man why do people that i love die like how could this happen you know like i was just so stunned it was the first time i dealt with like a loss like that and i was like how could there be a god if this is what's happening like how could this happen and uh yeah, dude, I just started kind of, like I said, like I just started kind of a spiritual journey this year and started going, trying to understand, you know, who my higher power is. It's funny, man. It started because I was like starting to buy into like the simulation theory idea like a couple of years back, you know, back when I was in my stoner days and watching uh, quote unquote documentaries on YouTube. And then I was like, you know, this is basically just a form of God, because if you think this is a simulation, there's got to be right. a creator. If you're going to recognize a creator, you're basically believing in God to some degree. Right. Like, right. Plugged into the matrix, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how, how, what happens next? So like, I'm totally not caring about me at this point. And I literally go, all right, Jesus, God, if you exist, you know, this isn't, uh, please, God, let me stop puking my guts out because I drank all night. Please, God, get me out of this. I swear I'll never drink again. Or please, God, let me win a million dollars. This is nothing like that, right? And I'm like, if you think I'm a menace to society and belong in jail, fine. If not, if you think it's best if I, you know, come out and figure it all out and, and do whatever I can for my family, give me bail. Because they don't give you bail when you're me. They're straight up, you can get, you can be a murderer and get a $2 million bail. 
you're a drunk driver like me, you don't get bail. <laughs> you got to fight for it. So, uh, you know, a lawyer petitions the court for, you know, uh, a bail hearing because, you know, that's two or three, four days later, depending on if it's the weekend or whatnot. Um, just to say, hey, these are the conditions of your bail. Um, and, you know, I made promises to that God that I had heard about when I was a kid, went through my, you know, disbelief years, and I have a reason to believe, and now I believe it. And every day that I have has been a good day. So, you know, I had to go, I went five months sober before I had to go to jail um, because they were good lawyers and, you know, they see effort even despite <laughs> just the most tainted past with alcohol that you could probably find on paper, <laughs> right? Um, you know, they gave me the maximum but they only made me do the minimum, right? So I've got time over my head and I have to, you know, ask for permission to leave the state and stuff like that. But I have zero worries because I just believe everything is going to work out because everything worked out and everything was fine and I knew how to be grateful for the little things that I had, which was very, very little, but me and my thoughts for 90 days, right? You know, cause I had already started with my, you know, actually including uh, a Bible verse or, or the Lord prayer, you know, uh, a prayer every day since I got out. Right. So uh, constant contact, constant connection with, you know, uh, a being better than me. So doing that, it, you just come out so much more grateful on the other end, you know, because I'm sure I could have gotten away with drinking up until I went into jail. But having that five months going through jail sober you know, paying my fucking pen penance because it's a fucking bitch, right? You know, what, even if it was just county, like it's Fairfax County. I don't know if you know about them. It's richy rich money out here, but the jail is just a train wreck of administration, you name it. Um, but I'm telling you that the things that the miracles that happen in the in the interim, like just it is proof. Like since since we realized we could get a deal for the ninety days, my, we had planned on going to Romania, but obviously I couldn't do that. So only my wife and son. Would. This was timed at the right time. They were literally going the day after. 
um, that I was supposed to go to jail. So that's 45 days easy on them. He's no notice, you know, and my son probably won't remember anything, right? Um, but it's 45 days that she doesn't have to do everything by herself or rely on other people close for help, et cetera. They're on vacation, right? Before they know it, half the time's done. Um, we had the investment property. Um, a good deal came our way, offloaded it instead of having it, you know, rent rented out. Um, gave us, you know, the means to get through all of that. And even to this day, like, I don't have a technical real job, like going back to the IT world, because that's a little more difficult now, right? Even if I wanted to, like, my name is cut in half, right? You know, the algorithm itself goes, oh, felony. You know, they don't even see your resume, right? And that's a decision I knew I would make um, because I trusted myself and I trusted the man above to take care of me no matter what, to take care of us. Like, I've got a lot of really cool things that I wanted in life, right? I got it, but I don't need any of it. I need a couple of things. We will, you know, we will make it, period. <laughs> I love that, man. That's a beautiful thing, man. I love it, man. I, I got a buddy that uh, always says, he's like, man, everything's always working out for me. And they like always says that every single yeah. time I talk to him. And I've started to adapt that. Like I started to... uh started to say that to myself, like kind of like a personal mantra, like everything's always working out for me because it is like every day you wake up and that's proof in and of itself. Oh, it's like, Oh, I woke up. That's I enough a fucking for me. another day. Yeah. I got another <laughs> day. There's, um, so, so as, as this whole thing starts, like you've kind of started, cause I, I've, I saw on your Instagram, like two years ago, you posted like a picture of what you looked like two years ago and it's completely different. Like it's in contrast completely to what you look like now. Like now you're ripped, you're working out every single day. You're, you're an inspiration to a lot of people on Instagram and uh, the people that follow you in life. Like how, how did that transformation start? So you, you get out of jail and um, you, you uh, have like what you looked like back then two years ago. Um, how did that transformation start? Like getting so... back in shape. So I started this in 2020. So I that whole, the 45 day thing, I, I stayed that same shredded all the way up to jail. I knew I, I, I wanted to get bigger. I still want to get bigger, right? More mass. Um, because I'm, I can get, we know I can get shredded, stay shredded. I want to get more mass. So you have to go through a reverse to do that. And I figure what better time than while in jail. Um, <laughs> um, it, it was not easy the first couple of weeks because you're in quarantine and you don't get hardly anything to eat. Um, but once I got to general population, I had money now because I sold the house at the top. Right. So paying bills, killing all of our credit, you know, 
like I was saying, man, things were working out. It all lined up, right? So I got money and I had a lot of commissary. So sticking with what I knew, which was not a whole lot about the reverse, but I knew if I just kept working out and just kept eating, I'd put on weight. So I came out actually at like 21. No. Because I went in. Yeah, I came in. I came out about 22 pounds heavier than uh, my first cut. Um, Damn. I got sick. Yeah, I got sick at the uh, the last week. I got sick in jail. That crushed me for like another week two after I got out. You know, I, I kept my wake up time um, for the most part once I said it again. Uh, but I I, ha- I didn't get back into working out. And I didn't get back into like completely eating right because I was just getting back to eating normal food (laughs) which was healthy enough for me right um so Jan 1 I just start you know I make it a full-on conscious decision to just do this for a year post this for a year start all of these things for the year um we started out with a challenge from a, a friend of mine which was really cool I'm glad he, glad he did that from the recovery community <clears throat> um but i had actually been coaching before i fucked up and went to jail um i had a couple of friends but you know knowing that i was going to come out with a felony i knew i'd start my own business um i started some of the you know groundwork before I went to jail and I came out and um, I've had it going since. I didn't have um, too many clients for the first few months and then having my hands in so many different things last year um, you know it's not just um, this business or this business, it's getting the work here, the work here, the work there, do this, learn this, learn. I've learned. It's beyond ridiculous how much I've learned in terms of software processes, um, blockchain, crypto, um, you know, other means to make some money without having a real job. Right. Um, But it took me a while to get fully focused on the one thing. And I think, you know, basically I wanted to go into this year, um, hitting the ground running. So I got it. Um, I got the website up, at least the front end and the launch to the sales site. And, you know, the back end has been up for a while. Um, got that going a couple of months ago and, you know, now it's about marketing and, you know, talking to people, and seeing how I can help, right? So um, it's cool. It's a lot of work, but it, it's it's what I get to do. It's not even work, right? It's like I get to wake up and just live this beautiful day, the same day, every day, and things are going to work out. it's awesome yeah it really is man it's such a blessing that way i i I tend to have like a similar outlook on life like every single time i'm writing in my journal like i I always write down like one of the last things to write 
is like i'm grateful for this day like i'm grateful that i get another chance like um you know kind of reflecting back on a lot of the things that i've been through those times where like uh, i really fucked up and like somehow i slipped through the cracks and like i've had to deal with repercussions in my life but i'm blessed that they weren't as heavy as like what they should have been in, in my eyes and um I'm like, man, there, there's a reason that I slipped through the cracks that I got like as lucky as I got, like as much as I want to look at my life and say, man, I got fucked over here. I got dealt a bad hand of cards in this area of my life. Like there's a lot of times where I've been like way too lucky where like it didn't like I didn't it didn't click for me. Like I didn't realize how blessed I was. And now it's like you better be grateful for those moments because life could have been a whole lot fucking worse for you. Man, I. Gratitude is something I never, ever even thought about until I realized just how grateful I am for everything, the smallest of things now. Like, I'm not even sure, you know, gratitude was in my vocabulary, you know, five years ago. Like, even some of the good things that had happened over my life. Like, I can't be like, oh, well, I'm grateful for that or grateful for you. I just wasn't, I was so selfish, right? Literally everything was about me, 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 me. Even the things that I would do and, you know, that were nice and kind, still me. It was still about me. Yeah, yeah. One of those moments where you like you kind of do something for somebody because you know, ah, this person might feel obligated to do something for me now. Like, I might get some positive kickback for it. Right. And you know, in a different kind of way, it still is. It still is. Like I I love helping people. It does make me feel good. It does keep me in in a different, as long as I'm not thinking about me, I'm good, right? But that is what I need. So I am being selfish in by doing that. And you see what I mean? That kind of catch 22 thing, but, and that's okay. <laughs> that kind of way it's all right, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I like feeling good. It's selfish of me to like to feel good, but I feel good when somebody you know messages me hey appreciate you or you know buys my program right and, and you see these transformations and watching people grow and get better is far more satisfying than the opposite is depressing yeah, 100%. One of the things I was actually going to ask you about, and this is probably like a perfect time to uh, talk about it is I noticed that on your wall, like in your, is it like a home gym that you work out at a lot of the time? Like yeah, I that's see, my garage. That's half, that's half my garage. I, I saw on the wall, it says, uh, it's not about you. I wanted to ask <laughs> you about that. What's that all about? I like that message. Yeah, it's all this. It, Nothing is about me anymore. I literally have had my fulfillment of everything that I want, everything that I could have, everything that I have and deserve, I've got, 
I'm grateful for literally anything else I do. It's not about me. It's about me being the best person for him. Right? My parents were great parents. They lacked lots of areas that I needed to, you know, make me happier or whatever my trauma is. We all have trauma with our parents. I don't care how good of a life you had. You know, you're a kid. Kids, being a kid is traumatic, period. And you're, you're going to resent your parents in some form or fashion. Um, and I never really did it with my parents. I don't think I ever blamed them or anything. Um, I think I put it on my my biological father for a long time, um, but not them. Uh, and I and I still don't because I, you know, they didn't know what they needed to know. They were young when they had me, right? They were at their own growing process and etc. But I see what I needed now right from when I was a kid to not hopefully go through all that shit for my son. So I got to be that person, right? I, I'm going to give him everything he wanted. He wants just like I didn't have, but I'm also going to make him earn it, but I'm also going to be, be what he needs and be able to flow with that at any point in time, you know, and try to, you know, anything he asks, anything he wants, info, I'll show him how, right? You can tell, you can tell your kids all, you know, until you're blue in the fucking face. You know, my parents told me a whole bunch of shit I didn't listen because they weren't doing it, right? So, you know, kids aren't going to listen to you. They're going to follow you. So, if I want to raise a good person, I got to be a good person somebody uh, i respect yeah yeah 100 i i 100% agree with that man like i think that like um and that's what i was trying to say earlier as well with like you know in terms of like becoming like getting a little bit not even just getting sober but like you said like getting sober is one part of it but it's like you got to do the deep inner work and yeah. that's what i was thinking is like you know, if I want to, like, because my goals are aligned, like, pretty similar to yours. Like, I want to have, like, the, I want to have a house. I want to have a wife. I want to have children. I want to be successful. I want to be able to provide everything that I need to provide. But if I'm, if I'm kind of walking around as this shell of a man, like, kind of never fulfilled, not feeling happy, always acting, like, in a self-centered manner, like, what example am I setting? I can't raise a good person if I'm not a good person. Like if I'm not happy with who I am, I'm not feeling fulfilled. Then how am I going to live a life where I can raise somebody that that's going to feel fulfilled unless I can actually achieve it myself. I, I resonate a lot with that message, man. And and when I saw that written on your wall, I was like, that's really fucking cool, man. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, um, do you think, and, and I don't know where your head is at, because obviously like there's kind of a, um, kind of a self accountability aspect to this as well, because we all do have our own choices, but do you think that society kind of normalizes the consumption of alcohol and drugs? Like, do you think that it kind of, uh, kind of creates the right circumstances for alcoholism and drug addiction to take place? Like, cause I, I, I feel like growing up, I never, and maybe it's just cause I was a kid. 
but I never really heard about like how drug and addiction problem and uh, alcohol abuse, like I feel like it's grown so much in the last 20 years. And I feel like, especially in Vancouver, in, in places in California, I don't know where, if it's like this where you are, but I feel like parts of the city are completely getting consumed by homelessness and drug addiction. And it feels like to me that uh, society almost like normalizes these things and pushes these things from like TV commercials to how we're taught how to spend our spare time. Um, it's like, uh, I think, I, I think we hear about it a lot more because of, you know, the speed of the internet. I do think um, society does have a certain brand pushing um, way about itself. Right. I know. I mean, you can't in the U S there's no cigarettes uh, commercials. There haven't been for years. Yeah. We're the same here in Canada. You can't, you can't advertise cigarettes, but every other commercial is for some booze or 70% of marketing is pharmaceutical. Yeah. 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 Healthcare. It's it's crazy. 70% of every dollar 70 cents of every dollar spent in marketing in the u.s is by pharmaceutical companies yeah yeah it's mad isn't that amazing like um the sad thing sorry i'm gonna just interject i think i think the biggest problem with the society get the get the commercials out of it let's say none of the commercials but just what you see on tv or social media it's it's highly accepted booze is right but I think their biggest problem, social media, society, his biggest thing is they're personifying that what you got isn't good enough because everybody's an Instagram model. Everybody has a podcast. Everybody has a voice on Twitter everybody's got some nice new shit. So everybody's got a big house, right? Look at, you know, it's cool to be a single baby mama, right? It's, it's confusing a lot of people as well, right? We, we, we know about where, the confusion lies uh, in a lot of things and it's pushing this narrative that you're not good enough. You got to strive to be somebody else, somebody better because, you know, now that you're locked in your house, you know, nobody can see you. You don't go anywhere, you know, for at least the last few years. Right. And just keeping people inside, not, you know, growing, because they don't have to go anywhere, but every the only things that they see are the things that the algorithm shows you and that you like, and, you know, what your friends like. And it's, you know, I'm, I imagine it's a major insecurity. It leads to even more consumption um, the last few years. Um, but um, yeah especially at least from my town. I mean, that's been the pro- one of my 
it's the problem. I'm not the problem. It was the problem. Is this is, you know, Washington D.C. This is the capital of the nation. There's literally something, some event somewhere you can do every single night of the week. Right? It's a networking town. Events. You know, just go meet the congressman down the. You know, down in the city. You know these little backdoor deal pubs and stuff. You know it's. That's just the way this town operates. And you can get sucked into that too. It's like, you know, everything is a drinking function because people don't know how to be themselves <laughs> around here because a lot of these people are shitholes. They don't, they're shitheads. They don't like themselves because they do shitty shit and they don't want to. And it's all about making a buck or, you know, being a socialite around here too. Yeah, I feel like um, with social media and uh, with the, like uh, the TV commercials, or ads for medication, ads for alcohol, ads for everything like that. Like it's kind of like this idea is portrayed. Like, do you not feel good a hundred percent of the time? Right. Well, you can have this, <laughs> and it'll make you feel good a hundred percent of the time. Oh and like, my. it's like no we're humans like we're not supposed to feel good a hundred percent of the time right. and when you don't feel good like you're supposed to figure out why that is and start to yeah. dig deep and like try and get to the root of the problem not try and mask it with a medication not try and mask it with some social lubrication from alcohol not try and like just feel good a hundred percent of the time like that's not what we're supposed to be and i feel like that's where the like you see the commercials like it, it's funny too because um like it's illegal for pharmaceutical companies to advertise in Canada. So we don't get those com commercials unless like we're watching like American stations, then we'll still see them. But like, um, we still have like everything, like all of our media is sponsored by Pfizer, sponsored by this like company, sponsored by, you know, the news is brought to you by Pfizer. This radio station is brought to you by Pfizer. everything. Right. And there's always like kind of, uh, conversations in the media like it's just because it's illegal to have the advertisements doesn't mean the conversations don't happen and um man it's like uh there's still always the message of like are you not feeling good a hundred percent of the time fix it with this i mean like, they literally they literally almost give you something just because you're they make you think about it they're like, oh, do you, do, you, do you ever have a little small headache? Oh, do you suffer, do you, do you suffer from uh, a little bit of joint aches and stuff? Well, well, that could be some shit you never heard of. But here's something that'll fix it. But the side effects are all of the shit you're trying to get rid of, plus explosive diarrhea. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, they literally plant ideas in your head to make you think that you got something so that you can go to the doctor and say, I want this. Like, I've got my whole, we can go in probably for hours about Big Pharma and the, the shit that they've caused the last 23 to five years that I've uh, that I can remember and seen, you know. It's, uh, I, it, it's it, the, the overlying idea that I, I view when I look at that, cause trust me, I can cover this too can to in tinfoil, man. Like I can get my tinfoil hat on, but I, uh, 
And uh, maybe that's a, the next conversation we have is could go down that road. But I, the, the overlying idea I feel like is like it forces us to try and look for like an external solution for like an internal problem. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest Absolutely. struggle with it. That's pretty much the, the whole crux of life, actually. <laughs> like, look, we're humans. We want that dopamine hit, right? And we're taught and learn that, you know, just by living that a bunch of external shit hits the nail on the head and it works, right? It's unlearning that it's, it's learning that one, it's in use that when you don't even know about it, because the whole growth growing up fucking part of life, right? And then not that it's, in use but it's in use in everything in life <laughs> that's what your body is just doing and then realizing this isn't working all of these things and it took me 25 30 years all these external things that were the solution you know aren't isn't really the problem <laughs> Then the realization that we can fix it all inside, not just fix it all inside, but get that exact hit that we're looking for from the work. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that for sure, man. I, um, I know you got a lot of shit to do and I, I got, I got to let you go pretty quick. Yeah, here, man. I, um, I, I just wanted to ask, like, kind of for anybody that's listening to this, that maybe it's their first time listening to you, um, what kind of advice would you have for someone that's kind of sitting in the shoes that you were sitting in, like, maybe two years ago or three years ago, where they just kind of keep, uh, like, hitting a wall they 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 feel themselves stuck in this mindset of like fuck the world's out to get me um they did just maybe maybe they've just fucked up and they're facing kind of a similar situation where you were at where it's like i could be looking at jail time i could be looking at you know my wife leaving me i could be looking at any type of repercussion like that like what kind of uh advice or statement could you give to, to somebody like that well, you gotta, like I said, like my, my thing said, it's not about you. It's not at that point. It's not about them. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And the sooner they realize that they can then start working to better themselves, heal themselves, go through what they have to go through because all the shit that they want in real life that they're trying to supplement or escape from is going to happen on the other side of all that work that they don't want to do. Right. So the sooner you can realize and give it a purpose outside of yourself is when you, you tend to stick to it a little bit more. Um, you know, so seek outside of yourself, right. To build yourself. Right. Who do you, who do you want to be? I mean, if you want to be that dickhead, that, keeps getting in trouble if you want to be that person that can't stop using substances or can't stop escaping your own life with food or porn or whatever your fucking problem is everybody's had these problems before you want out of them there's a way and you know reach out for help and if you're 
you're going through a fuck up right now, keep going. <laughs> Try to do it sober. It's you you gotta feel that pain so that you realize that's something you don't want to do again. Right. I love that message. Your Instagram's David James.fit, right? Yep. Yep. David James.fit. I post a little bit on Twitter too at uh David James One. Uh O N E. Um, getting my YouTube up, so I won't really, you know, that's David James one, two, one as well. Um, but I don't really have much up there yet, but if you wanted to give it a follow, I'll, I'll throw some random shit up there every once in a while. I haven't figured out which way I want to go with it, or do I just, you know, vomit? <laughs> just throw it all up, man. Just throw it all. <laughs> I love that, man. Well, um. Like I said, man, I'm I, maybe I didn't say it yet, but I'm very thankful for your time, man. I I appreciate you coming uh, on you here and telling me, your story. Yeah, I uh, appreciate it. I, uh, I I think a lot of people can listen to this and relate to a lot of it. Maybe some of it they'll be like, "That's a pretty horror, a pretty big horror story," and they don't want their lives to go that way. But right. I think uh, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from your story, man. I appreciate you telling me about it. It's uh, you got an open invitation on this podcast. You can come on oh. and chat anytime. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time, man. For anyone that's you. listening, you have a good weekend, brother. You as well, man. For anybody wow. listening, go and follow David. Uh, check him out because he's always got some good inspiration, whether it's for uh, mental health or physical health, uh, self development stuff. If you like this podcast, you'll like his page as well. So, uh, davidjamesfit.com if you want to get on the program as well, because that, that you know that launched that. Um, I come in three, six, and a year terms. Um, it's not just for, you know, people that are overweight, right? Like, this is a mindset thing, you know? 100%. If you got a pounds to lose, it, it'll, it'll definitely do the trick. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that. Plug, uh, plug your shit, man, because people need to hear it, man. Gotta hear it. If I, if I don't plug it, nobody else is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. You have a, a good weekend, man. Thank you for your time. Much love. Much love, bro.